Thank you, Susie. I would strongly encourage you to try to come to the Ash Wednesday service this Wednesday as we launch the season of Lent, particularly in light of what we're talking about and journey towards our true self. I think it will be a powerful time. The service is only gonna be about 20, maybe 30 minutes, and then CC will lead us in prayer. Um, if your small group happens to meet on Wednesday, I'd strongly encourage you, come as a small group. Come as a small group together and be a part of the service. Um, secondly, uh, how many of you are here last Sunday? A lot of you guys, oh, there's a good number that weren't. Was last Sunday powerful? Was last Sunday uncomfortable? Okay. I've been asked a lot, uh, Pastor Peter, will there be follow-up from last Sunday? Um, and for those of you that were not here, last Sunday we talked about what it means to live into our true self by embracing our ethnic and racial identity. And that caused discomfort and maybe even for some of us, pain, self-rejection, self-hatred, anger, resentment that we've held for years. And there was this powerful moment of being able to bring some of these things to the cross. And then after the service, we engaged in conversations where we got together with those of us that come from that ethnic background. And uh, FYI, we're gonna do that again as we continue this journey. And I wanna say two things. Number one, thank you for showing up last Sunday. For those of you that were uncomfortable and yet you chose to show up, I can't thank you enough for the courage and vulnerability. For those of you that are saying, is this worth the journey of sticking in there? I wanna encourage you, the emphatic answer is yes. Stay in it, stay in it. I think it's so critical. That's why I encourage all of us to be here on Sundays. It's not just about checking off a box that says I was here at church on Sunday. There's something powerful that happens when we're part of collective moments of joy, collective moments where something happens and you're actually physically here to encounter and see that. Uh, FYI, so today, uh, there's going to be another as we, I, I'm going to continue to train all of us as a church to do this. We in America are so accustomed to coming to church and just watching, observing. I'm going to continue to remind you that worship is an active service, meaning we don't just come and listen and sing songs, we actually participate. We walk forward, we do stuff with the hands, we write, and we engage in this act of worship. Yeah. So today, after the service, again, Huge challenge, I'm gonna ask you in front of your entire church family to be vulnerable, to be transparent <sighs> with God. Um, this morning as we continue our journey, somebody's gonna help. I, I uh, was told by my wife that it's a little creepy and I've done some you know, things, crazy things in our church. And uh, you know, some of you are like, that mask was really creepy last Sunday. Um, so, let's see if I can, okay, all right, okay, okay. Is that creepy? Is that going to distract you? Because if it's going to distract you, I'm going to put him away. By the way, his name is Pedro, or Petra, it's me, okay, this, this is me, okay, so um, I'm not picking on anybody, so this is, this is me and my true false self, so, um, 
Ellie, thank you. Ellie, who owns a, a clothing shop, attends our church, um, was gracious enough to lend, lend him to me. I had to buy the head, though. The head's from Amazon, but the rest of the body. There's a long quote, and I, I don't like doing long quotes because when I'm like in an audience, somebody has a long quote, it's like I lose my way, but so I need you to hang in there with me because I'm going to unpack this quote. It's by Thomas Merton, who's uh, one of my favorite authors. Thomas Merton. This is what he says. We're not very good at recognizing illusions, least of all the ones we cherish most about ourselves, the ones we're born and raised with, which feed the roots of sin. For most of the people in the world, there's no greater subjective reality than this false self of theirs, which cannot exist. A life devoted to maintaining and expanding this false self is what is called a life of sin. All sin starts from the assumption that my false self, the self that exists only in my own egocentric circles. How many of us know we have big egos? See, the fact that you can't admit it tells you you have a big ego. Anyway, my own ego is the fundamental reality of life around which everything else in the universe is ordered. Thus, I use up my life in the desire for pleasures and thirst for experiences, for power, for honor, for knowledge, feeling loved in order to clothe this false self and construct its nothingness into something objectively real. And I wind experiences around myself and cover myself with pleasures and glory like bandages in order to make myself perceptible to my myself and to the world as if I were some invisible body that could only become visible when something visible covered its surface. Huh. So, I love and was struck by this metaphor when I was on my seven months of leave. This metaphor that you and I, I'm gonna take his hat off for a second. Wrap myself around with these bandages. Oh, well, well, what do the bandages represent, Peter? The bandages represent, for some of us, career. For some of us, relationships. For some of us, marriage. For some of us, wealth, success. For some of us, being a parent. For some of us, in school, it's the grades we get. For some of us, it's ministry. For some of us, it's being a pastor. We wind ourselves up with these experiences because, and this is huge, we're afraid that underneath these bandages, we're hollow. There's nothing there. We're afraid that unless we wrap our lives around with things, what we do, what we have, what other people say, that underneath it, there's nothing, or for some of us, that underneath it, if people saw us for who we are, they would reject us. 
These bandages is the way you and I cope with feelings of vulnerability, shame, insecurity. The problem is the more we get dependent on these bandages, the more we become addicted to a false way of being. You start wrapping these bandages so you can show other people who you are. You eventually come to believe this about yourself. How long have we been doing this bandage thing? For a while, like Genesis 3, a while. Do you remember Genesis 3, 7? And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were what? Say it with me. The moment the man and woman decide to come out from the rule and reign of God, and as you see, that song was so powerful, my way, my way, the moment they did that, they all of a sudden experienced feelings they never experienced until that point, like fear, like shame. You know what shame is? Shame is this intense, painful feeling or experience that I am unworthy of love and belonging. Do you know how many cards, I must have counted over 40 or 50, that were laid at the foot of the old cross last week with the word shame on it? You don't think people are walking around to, you don't think you're sitting here struggling with shame? Do you know how many of us walk in here every single Sunday with this painful feeling of, am I worthy of love and belonging? Shame is when you're so uncomfortable with yourself, you're uncomfortable around other people. Do you know what that's like? Shame is when you are so uneasy about who you are that you're uncomfortable around other people. The moment that we broke intimacy with God, the moment we broke intimacy with God, the first thing that happens is I'm uncomfortable with who I am, who am I? When you lose who God is, you lose who you are. Because Colossians 1, if we're created by God and for God, it makes perfect sense. You lose who God is. You have no idea who you are. And please, for 2,000 years or long as humanity's been around, we've believed this lie. You could tell yourself who you are. You, you can't tell yourself who you are. I can't tell myself who I am. We weren't created to tell ourselves who we are. We were created to have someone else tell us who we are. And we yield enormous power and influence to whoever it is that names us and tells us who we are, don't we? The moment we broke intimacy with God. But it's not just that we became uncomfortable with ourselves. We become uncomfortable with what? Each other. They realized they were naked. So the Bible says, so they what? Do you remember? Sowed fig leaves. <laughs> fig leaves. Fig leaves to cover themselves. The rabbis has something called the principle first mentioned. And what that is, is they taught their disciples. Whenever you hear a word in the Bible, see a word, then ask yourself, where did that word first appear? And the word naked first appears in Genesis 2. Do you remember? And it says this, Genesis 2. The man and his wife were both naked and they what? Felt no shame. Living under the rule and reign of God. They're not only comfortable with who they are, but they're comfortable with each other. There's no fronting. There's no wearing of masks. There's no putting on bandages. But the moment that intimacy with God is broken, all of a sudden, I have to cover up. 
I have to cover up. Because I can't let you see who I am. I have to cover up. I have to cover up. Because I can't let you see who I am. Because if you see who I am, you might not like me. If you see who I am, you might judge me. If you see who I am, you might reject me. If you see who I really, really am, you might not want to be around me. So I am going to cover up. I am going to prove to you that I am worth somebody. I am going to prove to you that I am worthy of love and belonging. And we've been doing it ever since. The problem is it works for a second. Problem is you do that and you realize for a second you forget that you're naked. But the more people go, ha, oh, I love you for that, you and I become deeply addicted to false way of being. Come on, guys. How many of us walk in here living a lie, living a lie that says the image that I want to project is who I really am. How many of us are willing to take the layers of bandage off before God and each other and saying, this is who I really am? Can I ask you a question? Do you want that for yourself? This is not a rhetorical question. Do you want that for yourself? Yes. Because you know, here's good news for you. God, God, God wants to take those fig leaves away and clothe us with his garment of righteousness. Every single day, God wanders into the inner garden of our hearts, wanting intimacy with us. Every single day, God comes and says, where are you? Where are you? Why are you hiding? Why are you hiding under the bushes of your false self? Where are you? When will you finally take the mask off? Thomas Merton ends that quote with this. To be saint means to be my true self. Therefore, the problem of sanctity and salvation is the fact, is the problem of finding out who I truly am and discovering my true self, my essence, or my core. Oh, so powerful, you guys. Discovering who I am, because you can't become what you're meant to be unless you know who you are. And then you embrace that, and then you become and live it. Scripturally, if you're, if you're new to our church and you're going, is this even in the Bible? It is in the Bible. It's all over the place in the New Testament, actually. I need to move quickly. I need to move quickly. Ephesians chapter, chapter 4, verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its sinful desires, and your false self, in case you're sitting there going, am I that? Am I living into it? You're agitated. You're grasping. You're foolish. You're afraid. And Paul says, you're, you're dead to that. Your life is hidden with Christ and God now. And then verse 23, so put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. In your true self, you and I are calm, content, wise, and unafraid. At the heart of who we are is a new creation, a new self created by God's spirit and our spirit becoming one. And the Bible says the entire spiritual journey is about discovering who I truly am and living more fully into that. 
This journey of discovering our true self is rooted in this fact that God has already done the work and we simply need to become that which God has done. Can I get an amen? That true self, it's there. It's under all these layers and bandages that we've used for years to cover who we are. And the challenge for today is, what are you willing to do today? What are you today? Just take maybe one layer, one layer of bandage off. One layer. And if you're sitting there right now and you're angry at what I'm saying, that's a really good sign that this might be something you need to hear. Secondly, if you're sitting there going, this is so boring, this is, uh, I want to ask you, honestly, because the way we, the self-defense mechanism, let me put it this way, the Bible says a truth will set you free, but oftentimes a truth will make you really, really uncomfortable before it sets you free. Can I get an amen? Yeah. And so when we get uncomfortable, for most of us, defense mechanism is, I don't care, and I don't want this. Today, as we're continuing, and again, I need to move quickly because I want, this is a good part at the end I want to get to. Here's the question I want to ask you. Sermon title today is, who names you? Who defines you? Who is your authority? Who is the ultimate authority that you look to? These bandages you use up to wrap yourself around, what does it represent? Who does it represent? And in case you're sitting there going, no one names me, I name myself. No such thing, no such thing. Whoever, whatever names you is your ultimate authority and they wield enormous power in your life right now because it's the one that gives you validation, affirmation, security, a sense of self. The text for today is actually a Christmas text, but I'm gonna uh, look at this text in Matthew 1. And there's one simple principle that I want to draw out of it. You're, you're, you're in luck today. Only one sermon point, not ten. Matthew 1.18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to discover her, to divorce her quietly. Verse 20, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what if conceived of her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son and you'll give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Verse 45, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. An angel of the Lord appears and says to a father, I will not let you name this child. Dads, imagine somebody coming to you and say, you can't name the child. It's shocking today, but it was even more shocking back then. Why? Because it was the father, the parent's authority and right to name their children. And God comes along and says, you're not going to name this child. I'm going to give you the name that you are to give him. And the climax of the story is that Joseph obeys. What does this naming event tell us? What does this have anything to do with taking bandages off and layers of our false self, living into our true self? What does it say about it? In order to understand this, we need to understand the context. Back then, people just didn't give people names just because your parents liked the idea of it. People didn't name their kids because it was a name of their favorite TV show character. Good Lord. 
people didn't name their children because it was the name of their uncle or their grandfather. People didn't name, their, by the way, can I just total side note? We are naming sports venues to loudly declare we are owned by corporations. Have you noticed that? So I'm a Chicago boy. It will always be Comiskey Park. I don't care what you call it. Somebody, can I get a name? I will not call it US Cellular Field or now it's Guaranteed Field or something. I refuse to do that. It will always be Sears Tower. Thank you very much. It will never be Willis Tower for me. Preach. I will not. By the way, did you read, I read this, I came out of Christmas article. Do you know parents sold their naming rights to the highest bidder? This is the world that we live in. Back then, people took their names very seriously for this reason. Your name wasn't just a name. The deepest secrets of who you are was locked up in your name. The core identity of who you are, what you're about, was in your name. And there are two components to the name. First was the source of your name. What do I mean? Who named you was critically important because whoever named you was your superior or your authority. Always. The source of your name told you who your superior or your authority was. Second Kings chapter 25, there's a fascinating story of King Zedekiah, one of the rebellious kings, gets defeated by the king of Babylon, and the king of Babylon renames him. Why? To say, I am your authority. I am your superior. I will rename you. Genesis 2, God creates creation. Do you remember what he does? He says, hey, Adam, Adam, come here, come here. And he says, I want you to name the animals. <laughs> Why do you think God gave Adam the authority to name the animals? You think I was like, ah, I am so tired from creating. I need a break. Adam, name the animals for me. No, Adam was being entrusted by God to have dominion and authority over the animals by saying, take care of it. Don't exploit it. Naming was always active as superior. Secondly, the content of your name. Content of your name answer the question, what is your mission in life? What are you ultimately about? What are you ultimately living for? What is your highest ideal? What are you on earth for? Source of your name, content of your name. Let's apply it to Jesus before we apply it to ourselves. First, the authority. Why does God say to Joseph, you will not name this child? Simple. Jesus was the first baby ever born in humankind who when he was born was already older than his parents. Jesus, the Alpha and Omega, without beginning and the end. He is before all creation. In him all things hold together. We have been created by him and for him. And his parents were told, you will not have authority of him because he is God. Oh, by the way, can I just take two seconds? A little more than two seconds. Are you and I guilty of naming Jesus? Do you know we name Jesus? Do you know we name Jesus when we say, here's a list of things I'd like you to do for me? And we get angry when he doesn't. We name Jesus when we go, here's a list of things that I'd like you to answer for me and take care of me. Instead of saying, I surrender, command me. Are you and I guilty of naming Jesus? Is any of us guilty of naming Jesus? Secondly, the content of the name. Content of the name spoke of what? What is your mission in life? What is you? What are you ultimately on earth for? And this I love, love, love. His name in Hebrew is Yah, two words, Shua. Yah, the Lord, Shua, saves. Yahshua. 
Jesus is the Hellenite version of it. What is Jesus ultimately here for? There's one name above all names that told us what Jesus' mission is. Do you remember? Jesus himself said it this way in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. The Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Why did Jesus come? Look at his name. He came to save us from our sins. Is that good news? And do you know that throughout the Gospels, Jesus not only knows who he is, but he knows what he's about. Over and over again, we see Jesus doing stuff like this. Capernaum, many revival breaks out. People want him to take over the throne, to take over, uh, be, be savior king. And what does Jesus do? He gets alone to be alone with the Father. Why? To remember who he is, to remember what he's about. Do you remember? And then when he finally is found by the disciples, they say, everybody's looking for you. Do your thing. What does Jesus do? Jesus says, I must go to another town. Why? Because that's why I've come, to preach there also. Jesus never for once found his purpose in life by the expectations of others. Jesus never for once checked the polling data and go, I wonder what people are saying. Jesus refused to let others name him. He knew what his purpose was. And I thought about this this week as I was preparing this sermon. Jesus struggled with a lot of things as God in flesh. He was tired, he was hungry, he was thirsty. He struggled with trust, <laughs> was betrayed by his disciples. He struggled with, I think, a lot of things. But there's one thing that Jesus never struggled with. You know what that was? His identity. Do you remember we looked at this two weeks ago in the wilderness? After 40 days of fasting, the enemy comes, Satan comes to him and says, if you are the son of God. Do you know what he's implying? He's implying, he's your father. If he's your father, then why would he leave you all by, him, by yourself? If he's your father, why would he not provide for your needs? If he's your father, wouldn't he take care of you? Can I ask you a question? How many of us struggle with that? If God is your father, why is he not intervening for you? If God is your father, why is he not providing for you? If God is your father, why would he leave you out here by yourself? And Satan says, so take control of your life and find your identity in what people say, what you have, what you do, just like everybody else. What does Jesus do? He's able to walk away from those temptations. Why? 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 Luke chapter 3. And here unlocks the key. Luke chapter 3. Before he is tempted, he is baptized in the Jordan River. And look what we find. As he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, say with me, you are my son. If you need to go early, get this and go early. Jesus knows who he is because he knows whose he is. Jesus knows who he is because he knows whose he is. The age-old question of who am I is fundamentally wrong. Because before you can find out who am I, you need to find out what? Whose am I? You are walking around. I am walking around. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? It's the wrong question to ask. The right question is what? Whose am I? The only way that Jesus knows who he is in his relationship to his father in coming to know who his father is. Jesus
Jesus comes to know who he is. Without God at the center, I will never know who I am. When you lose who God is, you lose who you are. You want to find out who are you? Find out whose you belong to. Who am I? Doesn't matter. What matters is whose are you? Who defines you? Who names you? Who is your highest authority? Now it begins really practical because it's not just some theoretical thing. Who defines me? Who do I look to for validation, affirmation, security, significance? Who do I turn to for life's ultimate decisions? Who is it that makes me able to see and look at myself in the mirror? Who defines me? Who names me? Whose am I? And Jesus knows who he is. Why? Because he knows whose he is. What you do arises out of who you are, not the other way around. Can I say that again? What you do arises out of who you are and not the other way around. Before I am to discover what I am to do, I must discover who I am. You live in a culture, I live in a culture where people say who you are is what you do and is toxic. You and I believe this lie that says who you are is what you do. So perform, so produce, do the things that you need to do. And the Bible says who you are ultimately determines what you do. Can I get an amen? If you find and search for who you are out of what you do, you will search for the rest of your life. Jesus knows who he is because he knows who he is. As a result of knowing who he is, he's able to discover what he is to do. And he says this in John 5, 34, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. Nothing is more central to Jesus' understanding of his call than to do God's will. It culminates in not my will, but yours be done. Can I just say something? How many of you guys would love clarity from God? I have a challenge for you. Pray this every day for the next month and come talk to me. Pray this every day. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Not my will, but yours be done. Every single day for the next month, pray. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Not my will. But you, you start praying that, I guarantee you, you will hear God so clearly it'll freak you out. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Not my will, but yours be done. Let's apply this to us. Let's apply this to us for a moment and we're done. Anybody here sitting going, you know, I don't want a clear sense of identity. Anybody sitting there going, you know, I'm actually really comfortable with the sense of I have no idea who I am. Anybody? Anybody? 
We all want a clear sense of identity. We all clear sense of who am I, what am I on earth for? The question he'd ask is, who is my authority? Who defines me? Who names me? Who am I allowing to have authority over me? And secondly, what am I ultimately for? What am I ultimately about? In my absence, while I was away, I had to come to grips with this. For those that are new, I took like seven months off and I just came back. By the way, preaching, I feel like, I feel like an athlete that's out of shape. <laughs> I'm like tired right now, you know? I've only been preaching for like 30 minutes. I'm like, I'm tired. Like I'm getting the, Ugh. I don't know I told you that, but I thought I'd let you know. <laughs> While I was away, do you know what I came to Greece with? Do you know what I've heard most of my life for like 25, 30 years of ministry? Peter, you were born to be a pastor. Peter, you were born to be a pastor. I remember having dinner with Michael Emerson, who was a provost in North Park. And over dinner, when he's asked, he's asking me, how are you doing? How are you doing? You doing okay? I said, I have a question, Michael. Michael is this, you know, some of you know, he's written Divided by Faith, pretty, pretty famous guy. And I said, <clears throat> Michael, when's the last time you heard someone say to you, Michael Emerson, you were born to be a provost. <laughs> he said, Never. I said, I've heard all my life you were born to be a pastor. But listen, 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 listen. I thought my problem was that I care too much about what other people think. That that was my struggle. That's my band. That's my mask. I care too much about what people think. That's why I struggled so much and I was lost and I had to get away. Until I realized what people say doesn't matter until you internalize it. Let me say it again. I'm getting emotional just thinking about it. What people say to you will not matter one iota until you internalize it and you assent to it and you say, yeah. I was lost, not because people told me I was a pastor and I cared about what people think. I was lost because I was defining myself as a what? As a pastor. I was defining my identity in being a pastor. I was finding my significance and security, my sense of worth in being a pastor. So it didn't matter if it was a 50-some-year-old man or a 10-year-old child, as long as they said you were born to be a pastor because for me, the bandage I'm wrapping myself around most of my 40-some years of life is I, I was born to be a pastor. (sighs) 
is you? Who defines you? What are you wrapping yourself around just to be seen? Because you're afraid if you took those bandages off, you'd be hollow underneath. And oh, by the way, the danger of those bandages is that when the bandages slip a little bit, people see you for who you really are. And that fear is so terrifying to most of us that all the more reinforcements, I'm a pastor, I'm a good mother, I'm a good father, I'm a good son, I'm a good daughter, I'm a doctor, I'm an engineer, I'm a pastor, I'm smart, I'm competent. Who names you? Who defines you? Here's a, a, a list. I can't go over all of them. I won't go. We don't have time to go over them. But these are the ones that I just put up as I thought about you and prayed over you. For some of us, it's work. You realize you're trying to find your name through your work. Do you realize that what's really happening is your work is naming you? I'm trying to find my name through my work. No, no, no. Your work is naming you. Workaholic. Your family relationships broken down. Your health breaking down. You think the whole time you're in control. You're naming yourself through work. And the work actually itself is naming you and ruling over you. For some of us, it's wealth. We think we could find security in wealth. Jesus said, don't store for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in what? In heaven. Why does Jesus say that? Because some of you sitting here going, I'm finding my security and my wealth. I'm telling you right now that no amount of wealth could stop traffic accidents, cancer, divorce, broken hearts. Relationships. Some of us, it's marriage. Having a good marriage is what defines you. I need this to be okay. You say, this is my significance and worth. I'm going to tell you right now, if you're in a marriage right now and you are looking to that person to fulfill your deepest needs, I'm telling you right now, they will disappoint you. Every pleasure on earth have, should have a sign on it, like they own those bridges, more than two tons and the bridge will collapse. You put more weight on that relationship that it can bear, it'll collapse. Unless the spousal love of Christ is your foundation, that marriage will not be healthy. Family, parenting. Someone once said this, in light of Dedication Sunday, we've gone from being helicopter parents to lawnmower parents. You know what the difference is? Parents, we are called to prepare our children for the path ahead and not to prepare a perfect path for our children. Let me say that again. Parents, we are called to prepare our children for the path ahead and not to prepare a perfect path for the children. And we do that by instilling courage and resilience in adversity instead of intervening all the time. We do that by praising not just results, but effort. We do that by reminding them of their identity as children who are hidden with Christ in God and morality and society, culture. Who names you? Who defines you? Who is your authority? Who controls you? Who do you look to for approval and affirmation? 
What's your highest priority in life? What are you ultimately about? Those two questions, you know who you are. Who defines you? Who names you? And again, it's not some person. You don't, you don't, you're not affected by until you internalize what it is that they're saying. What are you ultimately about? You know what I found powerful? Did you know that the word identity literally means to be the same? In other words, if your highest ideal in life is your own happiness and joy, you will never know who you are because you'll be one way with one people and another way with another's. Do you have something that is so strong, so foundational, and so committed that regardless of circumstances, regardless of people say, you will be committed to it regardless? Do you have something to live for that's just beyond your own happiness? In your own joy? Do you have an ultimately highest ideal that you're committed to regardless? If your own, if your only source, if your only source of joy and happiness is your own source of joy and happiness, you'll never know who you are. Do you have something to live for that is greater than just you? What are you wrapping yourself with? What? are the bandages. The path we have to walk ahead to remove the layers and layers of our false self is so incredibly hard. There are powerful forces around us and inside us that smother the process. And I'm gonna ask you for a challenge as we end right now is what might be one layer that God is inviting you to remove today? How do we begin this process? How do we begin this process of removing these layers? You know what God says? God says, I have to name you. You can't name yourself. I have to name you. You have to realize the endless search to name ourselves ended at the cross. You have to realize the endless search to name yourself ended at the cross. At the cross. Our search to name ourselves through our blood, sweat, and tears came to an end when Jesus shed his blood, sweat, and tears. And the Bible says to anyone who believed in him, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. God says, you can't never find a name for yourself. I have to name you. And whoever comes to me and believes in me, I have given you a name. Your name is beloved of God. There's one person clapping. That's awesome. That's awesome. Church, do you understand the good news of the gospel? The good news of the gospel is that you could take these bandages off for crying out loud because your search to name yourself ended at the cross. And on the cross, God says, I have given you a name and your name is beloved of God. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. How great is the love the Father has lavished unto us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Beloved. Say this with me. Beloved. Say that one more time. Beloved. One more time. Beloved. We are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Put that big old fat letter up there, please. Beloved. 
beloved. Say it with me, beloved. Say it with me, beloved. Say it with me, beloved. Do you know it? CC, come on up, please. How long? How long? How long? Listen, listen. If you're a Christian and you're sitting there, please, please give me like two minutes here. If you're a Christian, you're sitting there. I'm not asking you, do you believe that God loves you? I'm asking you, have you received it? You can't know about his beloved love for you if you have not received it. Listen, listen. Transformational knowledge is always personal, not objective. Transformational knowledge is experience. It's a knowing of, not just knowing about. Transformational knowledge is when you've actually received his love for you. And here's the reason why some of us have been Christians for years and we're walking around with bandages, failing to realize we're beloved of God because you cannot receive God's love and earn it at the same time. You can't receive God's love and earn it at the same time. What do I mean? Do you know why every time I preach on God's love, some of you just go, yeah, no, I know, I know, but never impacted by it? Because the only way to receive God's love is to come before God in your brokenness, in your mess, in your vulnerability, in your frailty, in your sins, and allow God to love you as you are. Can I get an amen? This is how you receive God's love. This is how you receive God's love. You do not say, God, I'm going to come to you as I wish to be, as I hope to be, as I want to be. That's your false self. The only way to receive God's love and to know it is to come before God as you are, as you are, as you are in vulnerability and allow him to love you as you are. Do you understand that? Do you get that? Do you know why it's like you're hitting a ceiling every time you think about God's love? Because you approach him with your false self of going, God, I want to come to you as I wish to be, as I hope to be, as you want me to be. God says, and you'll never know, you need to come as you are in vulnerability. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Does it make sense? The only way to receive it is to come vulnerable and saying, I'm broken. God says, I know. I'm messy. God says, I know. I'm hurting. God says, I know. I'm not doing well right now. God says, I know. But that's how you And then and only then is when you'll have the courage to go, I can't carry that anymore. I can't carry that anymore. And if you're not a Christian, here you go, how do I, how do I get God's family name beloved, Peter? Jesus said, repent and enter the kingdom. What did he mean? He says, first and foremost, if you're not a Christian, what are these bandages? These are all repentances. Repentance is not just I did something bad. Repentance is here's what I've been wrapping my life around. Here are the bandages that I've been wrapping my life around. 
And repentance is saying, I acknowledge that I've been doing that. I don't want to do it anymore. It's not just I did something bad. It's what are the bandages that I'm using to wrap my mind? Do you understand that? Do you understand that? And then he says, though, you have to, you have to invite the rule and reign of God into your life. Again, it's about us realizing he is our authority. I don't manage him. I don't tell him. I, I, I orbit around him. He doesn't orbit around me. Entering the kingdom means he becomes my ultimate authority, the one who names me, the one I answer to. And the Bible says when you do that, you hear God's family name. God's family name is beloved. It's beloved. We are just starting this journey, and I'm hitting you with some hard stuff. But here's, again, what I would ask you to do today because you know these kinds of services it's almost impossible just to go okay so everybody let's pray and we'll get up and sing a song these kinds of services i need you to just sit there and think for a moment i need you to sit there and process i need you to sit there and go what are the bandages what are the bandages last week i challenged you and so many of you responded so many of you responded and I'm going to ask you to do the same this week don't worry we're not going to do this every Sunday I need you to do the same here's what I would challenge you to do your search to name yourself ended at the cross which means God says you can never name yourself that's search that'll never end I need you to realize I've given you a name and so here's the bandage that I've been carrying for 20 plus years of my life pastor it's not who I am who I am is the beloved of God. And it's been a daily thing for me to take this to the cross and to say, it ended here, God, my journey to name myself. I'm the beloved of God. Would some of you be willing to do the same? Would some of you be willing to do the same today? Again, you can't, you can't know about God's love until you receive it. The only way to receive it is to come in vulnerability and saying, just as I am, just as you are. Not as I hope to be, not as I want to be, just as I am. So what I'm going to ask is, CC is going to just play the piano here for a little bit. As the Spirit leads, I encourage you, again, before you go, just walk out of here. Take a moment. Are tired of carrying these things? This is the beginning of the journey. Will you come on up? There are six markers here and six notepads here, so you don't have to wait in line like you did. And, and 